How to diffuse some of the frustration that's inherent in a, a highly iterative environment, right? Like you, uh, if you iterate a lot, you're making significant changes to the product that you're working on. You tend to throw away a lot of work, and uh, people don't like that, and it gets uh, annoying and frustrating over time. Um, what I want to do is tell you about how the six months where we had to throw away most stuff uh, in, in my professional career was also the most satisfying six months of, uh, of development I've ever had. And so, um, this is our from Fleck. It was a, uh, a really ambitious project we were working on. We knew it was going to take about three years to sort of realize. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, we knew it was going to take about three years to realize. Uh, and so we were hard at work on it. Uh, and about a year and a half ago, uh, it was also our first foray in kind of lean style development. So we released with a really simple product and we kept iterating on it with live audience over time. Um, and about a year and a half into circumstances that were totally beyond our control, we suddenly went from having you know, three years to sort of complete the vision to about six months for this to be a standalone and successful product on its own. Um, and so, you know, when that happens, you have to change your plan. And so I went about changing the plan. We wrote a lot of specs, worked with the team, trying tried to find a way forward. Essentially, for this to be a standalone project, what we needed to do was increase our uh, initial user retention by order of 10x. We needed to increase our uh, per user uh, daily monetization uh, by, by 4x. Um, and these were goals that, given the complexity and scope of the project, I just I thought this was impossible. There was no way we were going to succeed. And, uh, uh, yet, you know, we had no choice. So lots of respecting, lots of work with the team, and, and off we went. We made all kinds of iterations to every element of the game, but because early user retention was one of the big things we had to work on, one of the most important examples is the tutorial. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, the tutorial in any game is really, really complicated. It's one of the hardest things that you have to do because you're introducing brand new players to complicated systems that they've never seen before, and at every step of the way, you lose a whole bunch of people, right? So. As you develop a tutorial, it's just, it's a very iterative process. You build something, you look at the funnel of users, uh, and then you respect it and you build it again. Uh, I have not worked on a game in the 15 years I've been working on games that's had a tutorial that's been successful in less than 10 iterations. You can get away with less than 20 here, you're hitting it out of the park. Um, for Fleck, we probably did 50 to 100 iterations of the, of the tutorial over the six months that we were working on it. And so I was working with a, one of our engineers, a guy named Mike, um, you know, great engineer, writes wonderful code, does really good work, um, you know, takes a lot of pride in what he does. And what would happen is I would write a spec for the tutorial. You know, I'd look at how performance was, I'd take a look at our user funnel, figure out what people were dropping off, and then rewrite the spec to try and address the parts where that were weak, where we were losing users. And every you know Tuesday I would go to Mike and say, hey, look, here's here's what we need to do for the tutorial. And heroically over the course of the next week or two, he would crank out another iteration. It would work, beautiful, really well constructed. We roll it out, look at the funnel again. Uh, gosh, these results look exactly like the last ones. We didn't have the change we wanted to make. Time to respect it, right? So I go back to the drawing board, respect the tutorial, do it again, do it again, do it again. Um, and and this, of course, is tremendously frustrating. I mean, for Mike, you, you know, with anything, you're iterating. Iteration is frustrating. For Mike, he's iterating on this very focused, very small element of the game and doing it on a weekly basis, just like, if, if you can imagine a task in game development that's more like Sisyphus was pushing a rock up the hill, uh, I can't think of one that's more like that. But, so, in that kind of experience, you expect things to be frustrating, right? Like, so you, you, you just assume that it's sort of par for the course. And so, for a long time, it's just like, this is frustrating, that's the nature of iteration, um, we should roll with it. But one day we were talking, and it became 
very clear, very fast that something horrendous happened. Um, and that it was kind of a, a systemic horrendousness. And that's it. Um, this being our sort of first experience with the whole uh, lean style development, um, we were trying to implement a build measure loop, right? Every iteration is essentially a cycle from the build measure loop. Build something, measure its success, learn from it, um, redo it, <laughs> do the whole thing over and over. Um, and while I had internalized that, and I felt like we had talked to the team and everybody had sort of internalized the sort of basic tenets of, of the lean process, you know, as you can see, I hadn't let anybody really actually internalize it but me, right? Mike would heroically build something, I would measure the results, I would learn from it and respect, and then I'd go back to Mike to have him build something else. And if you take this from Mike's perspective, what's happening is that he goes out and in the course of a week, pours his heart and soul in making a new iteration of the tutorial, making it fun and the best it can. And then every week I come back to him and tell him to throw out the thing that he built and we're just gonna do something arbitrarily different because he's not the one who's looking at the metrics and trying to understand what's happening. So the solution is also clear. Instead of dividing the responsibility for the build measure learning process, I have to hand it off to the team. And in order to do that, I had to change three major things about how I work. First thing, for somebody to have a responsibility for this whole cycle, they have to understand why they're doing this, right? And as, as a leader on the team, it became my job to provide them with extreme focus. And when I started, we talked about the two things that we needed for Fleck to become a standalone project. And that was that we needed to have a 10x improvement in our day one retention and a 4x improvement in our doctor report daily average revenue produced. Right? And we would meet every week and talk about this. We would meet, um, you know, we had a weekly meeting, everybody got to see the numbers. The numbers were always accessible for anybody who wanted to go pull them themselves. But more than that, we also became the foundation for every single feature discussion that we ever had. If we were talking about, you know, what's the focus of the new tutorial? Well, it's clearly early user retention, since it's probably not monetization in the, in the tutorial. But every feature came down to, does it move this number or does it move this number? And so because that became part of every single discussion we had about every feature, and it was such a simple thing to understand, it's literally two metrics. It was something that you couldn't ignore. But better, if you're trying to provide focus, the reason to provide focus is to tell people what they shouldn't do, right? If you say our focus is on growth and we're just gonna make the biggest possible game we can and we're gonna grow, 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 how does any individual on your team actually use that information? They can't. It doesn't mean anything. Everybody's always trying. Right? It's like saying that you value honesty. Everybody values honesty. So for us, what, what was useful was the fact that you could look at, does this impact early user retention? Does this impact monetization? And say, I am not going to spend the time to do this other. We had, you know, again, because we were iterating with a live audience, we had a, a number of fairly high-level users, people who had been with the game for a very long time, who were invested in it, passionate about it. And they have lots of people, right? So for a level 60 user to say, I need more level 60 content, right? This is a passionate, engaged person, someone who loves your game. But we're not gonna do anything because it doesn't impact uh, daily, daily uh, monetization and it doesn't impact really user retention. So by doing that, anytime you sort of fall down that, that hole of, man, this sounds awesome, let's build it. This gives you a tool to say, hey, wait a second, this isn't the right thing to do it. It's certainly not the right thing to do right now. So using that kind of extreme focus as a razor is a really effective way for people to be engaged. And one of the hardest things is at the start, when you sort of move from 
the process of telling everybody what to build to try and give them enough information to sort of understand how and what to build on their own, it's a difficult process, right? Like a lot of a lot of people's history and work is training them not to care about the big picture, right? Engineers will, will build to spec, you know, artists will, you know, make exactly what you tell them, and they don't care about the user experience because they haven't had to be used to it. In most jobs, if you care about the user experience, you shattered a wall and then the wall fell down and you crushed your head. Um, so it's a transition, right? But if you give someone something really simple, if you give them that extreme focus, people want to be engaged. They want to care about the product. They want to understand how the user interacts with it and things that they value about it and make those things better. So the transition is difficult. But once you make that transition, uh, you unlock a whole bunch of other amazing things. You know, I think of myself as somebody who really focuses on trying to give uh, the team a lot of input, right? Like, I, I feel like I, I pride myself on being somebody who uh, wants to create a collaborative environment to, to give people ownership of the work that they do. But if you look at the example of the tutorial where I'm specking things, Mike's building them, and I'm learning from it and respecting them, that's not what I was doing, right? I can believe that all I want. It's completely irrelevant. The only thing that matters is what I'm actually doing. What I was actually doing was telling somebody what to build and then having a bunch of hands build it. That's a terrible way of actually having a collaborative creative environment, right? Instead of telling somebody what to build, I've not been able to give them something very simple to focus on, right? I can tell them why they should be building what they're building. And based on that, now I've turned all those hands into brains, which is great, because my whole team is comprised of people who deeply love games, who are passionate about the things that they're working on, who interact on a regular basis with users. We had a, a whole chat system in the game where anybody could talk to anybody. Um, so all of our developers hung out in the game and talked to the users. Everybody was an advocate, and they all knew what the, the players wanted. I just kind of let them actually make that relevant to our development process. So by giving people a clear focus to work on, I was able to turn the whole team from hands to brains. And once you've got people who are engaged in thinking about the process, thinking about the whole product, then you actually distribute the authority. Right? And, by dis and distributing the authority in this case means I have to be able to say to the feature team that's building any given feature, okay, you know why you're building what you're building. You built it, so you know the most about it. Every time we go through this build measure learn loop, there's a point where we have to say, do we go through this again? Do we iterate on this feature and try and make it better, or do we kill it and move on? Right? Previously, I made all these decisions. I was the guy who would walk up to somebody else and be like, hey, we're killing a feature, we're throwing it out. Sorry about that two weeks of work you did. Now they're doing that. Right? So any person who's working on a feature knows what they're doing. They know whether the numbers are moving. And if, they, if the numbers aren't moving, they know when to fight to continue. Right? Much better than I do. And they know when to kill them. They know when to say, hey, we really thought that was going to work and it didn't. So let's do something else. And then once you've been able to put the authority for those calls into the, team, the team's hands, because you've given them the focus and the ability to, to understand why they're doing those things, then you've been able to close the loop. And one example of that for us is uh, project release. You know, we, we started out this ideal, you know, our idealized version of you know, Google's 20% time, and we thought, hey, we're going to give people the ability to sort of determine their own work and own, own parts of the game. And for a whole bunch of logistical reasons that we could never make that work, right? Like getting everybody to like really be productive for that time was hard, it takes a lot of overhead. Um, stuff I wish they would talk more about, honestly. Um, but for us, what we do with the project meetings was we said, 
We're going to take the worst performing metric of everything that we care about, and we're going to have the whole team focus on it for a week. And we're going to throw out everything that we've been working on, or not, not throw out, sorry. We're just going to stop everything we've been working on. Put it on hold for a week. And what you can do as a team is reorganize yourselves into cross-functional teams and work on the thing that is nagging at you the most. That affects this one simple metric, right? The, the worst metric, worst performing metric that we have. And then the Project Weeks led us to is we released every week, right? So it's literally a week. And Project Weeks forced you, again, to focus, to practice the process of developing extreme focus, right? Because now instead of saying, okay, these are the two things we're working on, we're gonna, you know, every feature is gonna have to address one of those two things. Well, now the whole team's working on one thing. Literally one number is what you're trying to move. The whole team breaks up, determines how to, how to create features that they can release the next, in the next week's build. Right? In an ideal world, everyone's wants to slip. But the goal was to say, what can you do before next week's build that is going to move that number? Right? So the second thing that led us practice was the concept of like extreme scope. Right? You couldn't build something that was going to be a month down the road and maybe move the number way off then. We were going to say, you have five days to build this thing. It has to go through QA, it has to get all its art, it has to be spec, it has to be released in one week. And as soon as it's released, we're going to look at the numbers and see how things are going. And I'll get, I'll get back a little bit to scope because it's really important in terms of iterating fast, but, but that was really sort of crucible kind of for that, that process. And it means that everybody has to really pay attention to how much they're building for any of these features. If, you're, if you lose your focus and you go off in the weeds and you make a really pretty tree when you shouldn't have made a really pretty tree, you're, you've blown your weed and that's over. Right? The only real failure you could have in this concept is if you really were far off and not being able to release something that week. That was one of the big sort of tenets of this, this project mindset. And then the last thing that I'd like to practice is that if I'm telling you we have to address the worst possible metric in our game, and it's now the worst thing because something you know we've tried in a larger scope hasn't happened, we're going to address it for project team. Most of the things that are going to happen are not going to work, right? So if we have a team of 15 people and they break up into seven groups and they're working on seven features, chances are seven of those things aren't going to work, right? Six of them might. We might get one or two successes. But the thing that that lets you practice is it lets you understand that not everything works, right? It lets you practice experimentation, it lets you practice failure, it lets you practice the idea that not moving the dial is just something that happens, right? Which is kind of obvious, I guess. Um, but it also means that what you're doing is you're essentially saying this is not painful, right? This isn't misery, it's not failure, it's not sadness, it's just experimentation. And by creating these weeks that were blocked out for that specific purpose, it let you practice it and let everybody internalize it. So you internalized the concept of extreme focus, you internalized the concept of incredible scope, and you internalized the concept that not everything is going to work. <clears throat> and so once you've sort of given people the ability to have responsibility for the whole loop, it has two major ramifications. The first is that people will scope their work correctly, right? Again, sort of reflecting the project week mindset, um, scope is often a very tricky task to deal with in terms of MVP. If any of you have run MVPs with artists, you've probably got some experience with this. People who are artists are believe that their individual sort of worth to the company is judged on whether they make great art, right? The most beautiful art. Uh, engineers probably feel the same way about writing elegant and beautiful and functional code, right? 
Um, but in the, in the concept, in, in, in a highly iterative, very fast-moving environment, it's usually not the most beautiful art that is the best art, right? We're trying to answer a question quickly. And whether a button has five frames of shiny animation and a beautiful 3D vessel is not really relevant the vast majority of the time. But you having to go to an artist and every time saying, hey, wipe out the bezel, wipe out the shine, we're not doing that. Again, it adds this level of frustration to every possible end of cycle of iteration, right? Now, everybody knows why they're doing what they're doing. You've got two numbers. Is the shine going to add something to that number? Is the, is the three vessel going to add something to it? If it is, great, keep doing it. If it's not, don't do it. And by having the knowledge of that extreme focus present in everybody on the team, it means that I am not responsible for keeping everybody to that focus right now. But it's not just my responsibility, right? Other artists will ask artists, is that vessel really necessary? Engineers will say, do I have to write this as a reusable, scalable system, or can I just hard code it for now? Right? Everybody becomes a brain, and they're all checking each other against exactly the same metrics. So only two of them. Can't forget what they are. So once you've sort of given people the ability to understand why they're doing what they're doing, once you've given them the authority to kind of own their own work, and then given them the ability to own the sort of kill and continue decision, right? The frustration of what happened with Mike and I during the tutorial where I was coming in and throwing away his own work just doesn't happen anymore. It happens at first when you really have to drive home the concept of, you know, hey, you own this decision, we're measuring it against these metrics. We're gonna have to turn this thing off and wipe it up from the game. Sorry, right? That happens for a while. But as you get better at it, as you iterate, as you go through this loop, everybody gets better at this process. And everybody begins to own their own decisions. And the thing that's really critical is there's no distinction between where my input is and where the team's input is. It's all the team's input. They will kill their own children. Sorry, that's grizzly, but, but they'll, they'll say this is not worth continuing, or they'll fight for it and try and you know, say, look, we got, we've got a case for this. We really need to add that extra time, really polish this and drive home. But I'm not imposing that on anybody And so the frustration with having a boss sort of swoop down on you and say, you know, your work is junk, I mean, obviously not like that, but we have to throw out your work, that frustration just doesn't happen. Because everybody on the team is working towards the same goals and people will kill their own projects if they're not being successful. They will refocus their work on something else and they will again make sure that their work is most efficiently focused around that goal. But for all that to work, you have to be nice. Um, and a lot of that comes down to Again, sort of zooming back out to the concept of, of frustration and iteration. Iteration means you break stuff, right? It means that you put out things that don't work. It means that you put out things fast that often have unintended consequences. You know, the whole concept of move fast and break stuff is incredibly easy to say. Anybody can say it. And it's also very, very hard to mean. Because what it really means is that one day you're going to break something really critical. And if you go to your team after they work on something really critical, what the hell did you do? What's wrong with you? Why did that happen? Right? You've completely broken that trust. Right? You told them to move fast and break stuff. And now the thing that you're breaking is their pride, is their uh, you know, feeling of trust in you. Right? The, um, one of the best examples I've got is in, in one of our games we were working on revamping the purchase flow. 
right? And the first float for a successful iOS game, if you break it, it can cost you $20,000 an hour, right? And any engineer or artist or frankly anybody on your team is gonna see that personally as a huge risk, right? I am going to potentially break the purchase flow and cost my company $20,000 an hour, right? And we had a, a manager who would regularly yell at the team and sort of, you know, berate people when they weren't doing a good job, and you know, we fixed that problem, but the team ended up still kind of shell shocked. So we had to make a big change in purchase flows. Critical thing that had to happen, lots of stuff depended on it. And we had a team that was gunshot. Their, their trust had been broken and they weren't able to move fast and break stuff. So, Again, measuring the risk for an independent person or an individual person at $20,000 an hour versus saying, well, let's do an extra review. Right? It seems like a no-brainer. Getting that purchase flow out took four months of reviews. It took A-B testing that had no impact. Um, everybody moved very slowly and very cautiously. And if you measure four months over releasing this feature in our purchase flow and breaking it for eight hours, there's no question that breaking our purchase flow is materially cheaper than spending four months worth of reviews. And we knew how to get our customers back if, if things went wrong and like how to address their needs and how to make them So the difference is if you're nice, if you react to problems, if you react to mistakes, if you react to, to experiments that don't work, and you're not a, a jerk, people will want to come to you when something goes wrong. And that, as a leader, is what you want. You don't want people to, 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 you know, oh God, I did something wrong. You don't want them to run away. You don't want them to fear public humiliation. You don't want them to want to try to hide it, right? You want them to come to you. And to do that, you have to be nice. So, You know, again, if you say move fast and break stuff, what you're incurring is you're incurring the cost. You have to suppress that primal reaction to yell at someone when something goes horrendously wrong in a massive crisis. It's worth it, because the whole rest of the time you're moving fast will gain tremendous, tremendous benefits. In the end, uh, you know, how did that work, right? We provided extreme focus, we distributed authority, and we were nice about mistakes. And what we needed when we started was a 10x improvement in day one retention. Over six months, we ended up increasing that to 15%. I remind you that as a project lead, I thought this was going to be impossible. On top of that, we were able to increase daily previous monetization. Instead of 4x, we were able to increase it 10x. And 10x at that time put us at a point where we had a, a dark room, daily active revenue producer, that was competitive with the best apps on the app store. I can't tell you what it is because that's secret, but that's what it was. We were essentially ahead of the number one app on the market at the time. Small audience, but a huge, huge change in the number. And so we achieved our goals and blew completely past them. But the most important thing was that by giving people responsibility, by giving them ownership of the game that they're working on, by letting them understand why we did the things that we did, and then empowering them to make the decisions to improve the game. To, and to feel like they own their input into the game. We ended up with an incredibly energized, incredibly passionate team, and I know for a fact that that team has carried that work forward into every other project that they've worked on, and it's made a tremendous improvement in their lives.
for me as a leader, understanding how to let go of control, how to give people access to data, how to let them make decisions for themselves, and then have a reacting time for crisis was a tremendous learning experience that had tremendous positive benefits. So, thank you.